the story in Ukraine and what the Russian army was doing. And I started seeing history repeating itself. And I thought, we need to bring this back to the forefront about the things that happened during World War II and post-World War II and how we're just letting it happen all over again. Welcome back to the My Future Business Show. My name is Rick Nusky. I hope you're doing really well today and thank you very much for joining us. If you're first time here, welcome. If you've been with us before for any length of time, thank you for returning. Now, I tell you what, I'm very excited about my next guest today. I'm on the line with Oksana Kukurutsa. Welcome to the show, Oksana. Thank you, Rex, so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes, it's absolutely a pleasure having you. Now on today's show, uh, you and I are going to be talking about uh, your book. In fact, you're Ukrainian-American. You're an author, you're a speaker, a management consultant, and we're going to be talking about your book, Sunflowers Bend But Rarely Break, in which you will share what it's like for your Ukrainian parents to live in Ukraine in the 20s and 30s and their journey from Nazi slave camps, liberation by the U.S. Army, and finally uh, settling in as immigrants in the United States with, uh, I guess, your siblings. So it's a, it's a lot to unpack here. So uh, where, are you, where are you calling in from today, Oksana? Sure, I'm calling in from Manhattan, New York City, where I live. Fantastic. What do you love about the place the most? Oh, there's so many things to love about <laughs> New York City. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the, I think it's the energy. If I could say, there are very few cities in the world that have the level of high energy that New York City has, and I just, I find it gives me more energy. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't take, it doesn't take it away from me at all. So is, is it a round the clock type of city? Like it's always open? It is. Mm. Yes, it is a 24-7 kind of city. Um, but uh, I have a young one at home, so I, yep. I don't get to really appreciate that <laughs> part of New York so much. I'm a 9, 10 o'clock, you know, I yes. shut kind of gal now. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear you. I definitely hear you. Now, in terms, just for context, so people understand what, uh, I guess, living in your environment's like, what's a local landmark that uh, people might no sure so not too far from where i live is the flat iron building right. which is right next to madison square park oh there you go yeah now that's that big central square of uh you know forestry isn't it basically one of them yes. yes it's a it's a smaller one it's not as large as central park which is in northern manhattan yes. um but it used to be the park used to be the old madison square um venue stadium. um yeah and, and stadium yep, yep. uh exactly uh until they moved it over to where penn station is today and so they had this free space and they made a beautiful park out of it it's where my daughter plays every day oh fantastic love to hear it now i love how they've meshed you know um, concrete and steel with the uh, environment where you're finding that they're doing more of that nowadays like trying to bring back the environment more do you feel that that's happening at all it's definitely happening in new york city in fact over the past uh, 15 years we've taken the old railroad tracks on the west side of manhattan mm -hmm. um, right along where the meatpacking district uh, used to be and right. where they would bring in the the animals <laughs> I guess on train <laughs> years many 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 years oh, ago yes. Yes, and yes. they've taken those railroad tracks that are um, on platforms and they've reconstituted a park called the uh, High Line the High Line so that's yeah. just one example of where we've taken you know an area that at, you know one point in time was you know not under any kind of use at all and 
put some greenery transformed it to help us all out oh, yeah yeah that's wonderful to hear now, now I, I i always do this for context we spend a bit of time obviously learning a bit about you and your location and what you do and enjoy your hobbies and movies and so forth but i think it's particularly relevant today as a i guess a lead into the main core of the course so tell us a little bit about things that you enjoy doing do you have any hobbies or do you do anything like that or what do you think Yes, I do. Um, so my, my main hobby is my primary hobby is traveling. So I have had the advantage through life and through work to have traveled to now over 90 countries. I can't believe it, Goodness but me. I have. Wow, <laughs> yes, that's I incredible. have done that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's um, one of my main hobbies. The other is I really like to either scuba dive or hike. Oh. Um, when I travel in one of those countries. Yes. And, and I, I used to be a big runner. I'm much more of a walker now. But those are some of my main hobbies along with reading and writing. It's funny you should talk about that. You just reminded me of Paddy Dive Centre in Indonesia where I actually learned and I got my certificate to go diving. It's a wonderful experience, isn't it, getting under the water and being at one with the sea, isn't it? It, it is. It's, um, to me, very much like meditation, mm-hmm. you know, meditation or yoga. It's a very calming thing to do once you get used to it. I mean, yep. it can be nerve-wracking in the beginning when you're learning all the skills, but once you master it, and I have over 400 dives, it's you just get in the water and you're just one with nature because the nature is just all around you. And you can't talk to other people and other <laughs> people can't talk to you and disturb you. And so it's just a very calming experience for you you know you really there's the solitude as well as you just focus on your breathing which yes. is very much like meditation and yoga now tell me when you what what depth are you certified to what's the deepest that you've been and what have you probably, seen probably about 120 feet it's plenty enough which would be 30 30 40 meters yep, maybe yep and um, really at that depth, there isn't that much to see no. unless you're really into dive wrecks, yep, so into yep. ships. The, um, I mean, the, the best spot, really the sweet spot to be is around, you know, 80 feet, 20 meters. Mm-hmm. And you can dive for quite a long time on a tank of air yep. and you, you can see pretty much everything that you would want to see, especially if you're focused more on the marine life and on the beautiful corals. See, I love these sorts of conversations because they bring out, the, the, I guess, the lives behind my guests. So I really do appreciate it. Now, tell me, um, you have a family. Um, given where you live, do you have the opportunity to have pets? Have you ever owned pets? Do you, do you enjoy having pets? Or I have. Oh. So I've had all sorts of pets. When I was quite young, I had birds. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then as, and as a young adult, uh, I... Um, I took on two cats, and uh, and unfortunately, they both passed away because I, I had them for, you know, 18 plus years. So they had very nice long lives. And the last one passed away just a few months after I had my daughter. And so I am waiting. So <laughs> she's old enough. She's not quite three yet. And so maybe in a couple of years, we'll start talking Let's about having what a pet. Happens. Because, yeah, I just don't want the pet to be in danger no <laughs> there's a bit of that <laughs> and i there. fear about the pet you know <laughs> under the home of a, of a toddler oh look i can understand that for sure and certain now this is a particularly relevant question i have for you now i'd love to know a little bit about what your childhood was like and if you have one memory that you can look back on fondly that you'd like to share with us 
Sure. So I am the youngest of 12 children. Mm-hmm. And my parents and we'll we'll get into you know yes. more of that yes. later on but they were um, Ukrainian immigrants that came to the U- United States via Germany mm-hmm. and they had me very late in life and so there is about 20 plus years difference between me and my eldest sibling my oh, brother wow. yep and I think about 25 years I want to say and then uh, eight years difference between the closest sibling to me, my sister, and myself. So I was a little bit raised like an only child, but mm-hmm. yet in a house full of teenagers and young adults. <laughs> I love it. That could be a, a very interesting experience. It, it was. In <laughs> fact, um, I, I mean, I was I was showered and, and treated very well as, as the youngest. And... I, you know, in terms of one of, I mean, I have a lot of fond memories, but probably one of my fondest memories was um, how all of my siblings uh, would uh, play hide and seek. And everyone was stuck taking turns. And I'm going to tell you why they were stuck taking turns with having me with them. And I was you know, three, four, five years old at the time when we were doing hide and seek in the house in the middle of winter time. <laughs> and the reason being is whoever <laughs> hid with me <laughs> and the seeker would just say, Oksana, where are you? Oksana. Oh, oh. And I would call out, I'm here. <laughs> I'm over here. Oh, that's wonderful. I just love it. Thank you so very much for sharing. I, I just wanted to swing back if we could momentarily. You talked about your travel a little bit earlier. I'm, I'm always about mm-hmm. culture and, you know, what we can learn mm-hmm. from people around the world. What do you think is uh, one commonality that um, you see through all different cultures and places that you've been, do you think? Generally, what I've found in any culture that with, with which I've traveled to mm-hmm. is how there is a keen interest to share ideas and to understand, you know, who I am, where I come from, why I'm visiting their country, yep. and the same for me. And so, you know, regardless of, uh, you know, culture or religion or... Um, food or anything, anything like that yep. yeah there is just always i've always found a keen and keen interest to share ideas yeah that's and wonderful. just for them to know much more you know about me and and for me to know more about them you know it's one thing i heard somebody say recently it really struck a chord with me where there's there's no differences in race it's that we are one human race do you agree with that sentiment yes it's, it's absolutely it's powerful isn't it when we stop and we and we we phrase it like that, it makes sense. We are all the same, aren't we? Yes. And in fact, if you look at religions across the world, or if you look at cultures across the world, or what's important to humans fundamentally, right, at the highest level, Mm. it's completely the same across the board. Absolutely. Now, I I wondered, you know, given the age gap, it may well be your siblings, but uh, was there anybody that you looked up to in those formative years, you know, entering teenage years that, you know, helped guide you, helped mentor you to make, I guess, strong decisions in your life? Sure. It wasn't one person. I would say I 
so it's, it's interesting. I'm the youngest of 12 children and there's mm-hmm. an equal split between um, men in my family and the women in our family. So there's six boys and six girls. And for me, it was definitely my elder sisters. They, all of them treated me like I was their daughter or their child. So I always say that um, it was like having, you know, six mothers, <laughs> you know, my mother and then <laughs> and then my siblings, the female siblings. And they always, you know, kind of kept a short leash on me. But, um, but, but they were often my mentors, especially my eldest sister, Jackie. And, and a lot of it was because they had already been through the things that, yep. that, you know, I was now embarking to do. And yep. it continues to be the same today. I mean, I continue to ask them since, you know, they're going through things that I'm going through today, you know, 10, 15, 17 years ago, yep. they're able to share their experiences and their lessons learned. And it, it's really helped me, I think, you know, yeah, in terms of maybe not making as many mistakes as I could have made. It's a wonderful resource. You know, we don't often recognize the, the beauty of the relationships we have until they've, I guess they've changed a little bit. What's the relationship between you and your siblings today? Is it strong or was it uh, everybody's all over Very the world? Strong. or? No, no, it's it's still really strong. In <laughs> fact, uh, no, no. I, in fact, uh, you know, even though my parents have passed away um, mm-hmm. almost twenty years ago now, but just in the past ten years, we've been starting to do annual trips together. I wouldn't say it's the entire family, but kind of a core group of siblings uh, will go someplace for a week. In fact, a number of us, about nine of us, are meeting up. Not all siblings, there are some children involved, but <laughs> nine of us meeting up, um, maybe I think five or six of us core siblings down in, in Hilton Head in a couple oh. of weeks. For well, a I week, tell you what, I, I understand the chaotic nature of this. My, my wife is the eldest of nine children, so getting together is an event, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and you're not going to get everyone, but no. if you can at least get a, get a core group together and, uh, and it... it you know, we, we stopped doing it because of the, the pandemic for a few years. So we're starting it up again. I think the last one we did was in 2019. And this will be our first one since then. Um, but everyone has wanted to stick to it. And even though we have, many of us have different political affiliations, mm-hmm. and we can, you know, really argue about things, we all agree that this is something that we need to keep doing as a family to keep us together. Yeah, that's a, that's a core takeaway for any young families listening into the, today's call. We're obviously going to be sharing a lot of wonderful insights into your life and your parents' background and so forth. Now, given the nature of toddlers and, and uh, you know, that sort of part of your world, what's your daily routine look like? Are you up early? No. No? <laughs> My daughter <laughs> likes to sleep in. So. Oh, lucky you. Well, but then Maybe. I had the reverse trouble because <laughs> it's hard to put her down in the evenings. So oh, yep. it's it's hard for me to uh, to be up before six thirty or seven. Um, but uh, you know, but but then you know, my day my day goes on. Um, I either work from home. Uh, I do have that flexibility and luxury, or I go into the office, or I go to a client site, and um, you know, especially. I would say pre-COVID, I did much more 
working at client sites, um, mm -hmm. but today there's you know much more of an emphasis of doing doing work virtually, which is fine, and using collaboration tools. And so I do work from home, you know, a few days a week. Yep. And then my you know my evenings are spent spent with my daughter, um, feeding her, helping her to go to sleep. And then uh, we do it all over again, wash and <laughs> wash, wash rinse and repeat the next day. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, tell, uh, uh, I'm wondering if you could share with the audience, um, again, for the sake of context, Oksana, um, your professional and educational background, please. Sure. So my full-time job is I am a management consultant uh, at a managing director level at a consulting firm called consulting and technology firm called Accenture. Mm -hmm. My um, educational background is I have a bachelor's of science and arts in business administration focused on accounting and finance. I worked for a bit in public accounting, so I also have my CPA. And then I went back to school for my master's in business administration and have been working now in consulting uh, ever since graduating uh, with that MBA degree. So have over 21 years of experience in management consulting. Wow, that's incredible. Now I'm wondering in all of this and all of your life's experience, I often ask, what's the one thing do you think you do the best? What's your thing? What's the one thing? I would say probably the one thing that I do quite well is pulling together people from diverse backgrounds and with diverse skills and creating a, a high performing team. Thank you for the feedback. Now, we all have a bucket list. I certainly do. But uh, given the, the places that you've traveled, are there many other places and things that you'd like to do? And what's one of them that's on the top of your list right now? So in terms of my bucket list, I would really like to visit Antarctica. It's the last of the seven continents. Yes, the last yes. continent of the seven yes, that yes. I have yet to visit. I'm not sure if that's the next thing that I'll be able to do since I don't want to drag a three-year-old there. But <laughs> no, it's probably not a great idea. <laughs> but it will be something that we will do together one day. Now, I, I've got a handful of questions I'd love to ask you about uh, Sunflowers, Ben, but really, uh, really break. But you recently mm -hmm. collaborated on two business anthology books uh, uh, by Australian CEO and humanitarian Kathy Demich, uh, DeMarcos. DeMarcos. DeMarcos, DeMarcos. apologies. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Sure. Uh, so, so Kathy is um, a very good friend of mine, and I mm -hmm. met her on safari in Uganda visiting the champ the chimpanzees just, just around the corner <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> and we found that we had a lot in common and so we became fast friends and kathy decided to um to to go on her own and become an entrepreneur at the same time that she discovered that she really wanted to give back to communities and when we met in uganda she had just come from tanzania and um, with her daughter, and her daughter was spending the summer helping out at, um, I believe it was a, a Maasai school. And Kathy just loved giving back. And she started this entire foundation, and she's Australian, from Australia, from Sydney, 
this foundation called Raise the Baseline, in which she and others train train people to be entrepreneurial, basically, in Tanzania. And to help her fund these programs, one one of the things that she does is produce these leadership anthology books. And she's also a a wonderful coach and and mentor as well. And she um, asked me to collaborate on a couple of them. And I hadn't really done much writing. While I was a child, I really loved reading and writing. I mean, I've I've always loved reading my entire life, but Mm -hmm. particularly in my childhood, I really enjoyed the creative writing process. And I enjoyed it in, in high school as well, but I never really thought it would be a practical career. And I grew up in a working class family and I knew that I w- was going to have to self-support quickly <laughs> and, and chose to go to an expensive university with school loans. And so I ended up pr- pursuing something very practical, accounting, you know, in the early 1990s. Yes, yes. And when Kathy asked me to write this chapter, I thought, you know, I should do it because, you know, maybe I can get back to this creative writing process. And I also had always thought that my parents had a really interesting story that someone should tell. Um, If not me, then someone else should tell it. And, you know, life gets in the way. And many years later, I'm sitting down writing, um, these chapters and in, in Kathy's anthology books. And it just made me realize how much I loved writing and loved the creative writing process and, you know, could do something too to give back since I was giving my time, you know, to write these anthologies and, you know, every single cent of the proceeds went to Kathy's organization. Subconscious minds are very powerful thing, as is the reticular mm-hmm. activation system. From early childhood, we have these dreams, and somehow mm-hmm. along the way, they just manifest, don't they? Was that the, mm-hmm. I guess, the tangent, the the junction in time that you decided also to write your book? Is that the reason or the catalyst for it? It wasn't. So it, it still, it's still kind of held in the back of my mind. It wasn't mm-hmm. until the first anthology book came out going against the grain and we started to do some publicity touring for it and Kathy and her team had booked an interview with me on ticker news in Australia yep. mm-hmm. and it was right the the interview is just a couple of weeks after uh, the invasion the invasion the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February of, of 2022 and and the the interview itself was in, I think, March 7th, so very, very soon, and, and the feelings all very raw for me because I had lived and worked in Ukraine um, and so always had, you know, special place in my heart for the country and, and knew people still there. And as I was preparing for the interview and I was telling Kathy, I don't know if I can do it. I'm a bit of a mess right now with everything going on Mm. in Ukraine. And she said, well, why don't you use it as a platform to talk about your feelings on Ukraine and your thoughts and not, you know, you don't even have to spend a minute on the book if you don't want to. Because in fact, the chapter was the chapter in Going Against the Grain was about um, my feeling like I had a foot in each world 
foot in, in the Ukrainian world that I had at home and the American world that I had uh, the rest of the time, you know, in school yeah. and work, et cetera. And so I used that as a platform and I came out of it and I started going to protests in New York City for Ukraine and, mm -hmm. and becoming a bit, you know, a bit of an advocate. But it wasn't until a few months later, just because my daughter was so young and so I was, I was consumed with new motherhood, but it wasn't until months later that I decided, yes, it's really time for me to write my parents' story because as I was seeing the news evolve around the story in Ukraine and what the Russian army was doing in mm -hmm. Ukraine um, over 2022, I was seeing my parents' lives flash before my eyes and they, mm -hmm. weren't, the good, they weren't the good parts of their history. No. And I started seeing history repeating itself. And I thought, we need to bring this back to the forefront about the things that happened during World War II and post-World War II and how we're just letting it happen all over again. As, what have as we a, learned? You know what as I mean? a world, yeah, yeah. Just as, a, you know, everyone in the world has some responsibility to how we're going to act and treat each other. And we just keep repeating the same, same historical mistakes. It doesn't make any sense to me that um, it seems, uh, I don't, I, I'm really ignorant, I apologise, but it seems to me like a land grab of all other things. But I think to myself, is regardless of who you listen to, the one message that I hear is that we just want people to stop dying on both sides. That's mm -hmm. really the message that I take away now. Um, this is a, an emotionally charged topic for you, and I'm, I'm thankful that you're willing to share it with us now. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, the construct of the book, given what you've just talked about. Sure. So my my parents grew up in Western Ukraine mm. in between in between the two world wars, and where they lived in Western Ukraine was a part of Poland um, in the 20s and 30s. And it wasn't until 1939 when Hitler and Stalin made a pact to partition Poland. So when Germany invaded Poland from the West, the Soviet Union then did the same thing from the East. And so Western Ukraine then became a part of, of uh, the Soviet Union, while well, the Western part became a part of, of Nazi Germany. During that time, my mother's old, older brother was forcibly taken and conscripted by the Red Army. That happened in 1940, sometime mm -hmm. in 1940. And in 1941, the Germans and, and Hitler then started to invade the Soviet Union and swept through pretty much all of Ukraine, <laughs> including uh, the areas where my parents lived. Mm -hmm. And after the Nazis invaded, they began to publish, publicize through posters, through the church, through any means possible. Um, what ended up being propaganda, but the locals didn't know it at the time, that there were these wonderful jobs in Germany, you know, that Germany needed 
Slavic workers to come, Eastern European workers to come and work in their factories and work in their farms to support them. And there were no jobs in those villages in occupied Ukraine at the time. And both of my parents, they didn't know each other at the time. My father was 20, my mother was, was 17. But they both ate up the propaganda and they both separately went on trains and six month work visas to come to Nazi Germany. Uh, my father ended up in a farm. My mother ended up in a in an slave occupied prison like yeah. camp, <laughs> you know, yeah. with the wires and everything like that, and the you know barking German shepherds and the yeah, you know, probably yeah. Gestapo mm. um, outside of Magdeburg. And you know, as soon as they arrived, their papers were taken away from them, and they were forced to work twelve hour days out in the fields, you know, even in the snow and you know working for very little food and and no no pay wow and those were their lives during the war until both of them were lucky to be uh you know to be liberated by the u.s army in fact my my mother had to make a daring escape uh and and spent a couple of weeks you know, in the woods, trying to make her way to the U.S. Army so that she wouldn't be liberated by the Red Army. Both of them were incredibly fearful of the Red Army. They had heard about the Holodomir, which is the Great Famine, mm. and then in the mid-30s in eastern Ukraine. I know my mother had relatives in the east, and she talked about it. And then after her experience losing her brother, because she never heard from him again, both of them were, were deathly afraid of of being liberated by the Red Army and then forced to return back to the Soviet Union. And it turns out, Rick, that there were about 12 million people in the same situation same as my situation. parents. Yeah. I just, I wonder, um, again, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing these stories. I wonder how you went about compiling these stories because a lot of which would have been a very emotional thing for either your siblings or your parents to maybe share with you. Would that be fair? It's true. So I, I was able to get a fair amount of information out of my mother <laughs> later <laughs> in her life. Um, yep. My father, not as much. So I've had to rely much more on documentation that we can find. Yep. Um, and then, then kind of talk about how I think it might have been like, you know, what might have happened. Mm-hmm in their, you know, in their uh, each's respective situations. And then I've also relied on my siblings too. So just, you know, little nuggets that they might remember of something that maybe, you know, in Ukrainian we call mama, ma- mother, mama, and, and father is Tato, like, yep. which is the equivalent of daddy. So, you know, whatever mama and Tato would, would tell us, you know, here and there, you know, I would, you know, I'm pulling it out of my siblings, you know, now and, you know, making sure that those nuggets get into the book so that yeah. I can, you know, be as true as I can to the experiences that they had and, and to their lives. If and, you could, mm-hmm. I have to ask, if you could change anything right now that's going on in the world, especially in that region, what would what would you be doing? What would what would the thing be that you want want to happen? I think I touched on it earlier. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I would love it if, 
Russia had regime change, mm, mm. a regime change that would look inward instead of externally to solve their problems. Yeah, look, I, uh, I can only imagine that moment in time when your parents were liberated from the, the I guess for lack of better words, concentration camps. Would that be a fair they weren't concent they weren't no. concentration camps. I mean, they were not death camps. Um, no. I, I wouldn't say people did. I mean, people died. So I'm not yep. going to suggest that people didn't die in those camps. You had mm. to have a very tough and strong constitution. Yep. But the purpose of the camp wasn't to exterminate uh, or okay. kill there was a like the concentration yep. camps. There was there was a um, sad to say, but the the nazis had a you know their master race theory and they had different ethnicities on different hierarchies from the yeah. top to the bottom and the bottom unfortunately you know were were the jews the roma the homosexuals the handicapped and yeah. then the next rung up of the ladder um, were the Slavs and Eastern Europeans. Wow, and then you had the Western Europeans, yep. and then at the top were the Germans. I wonder how they felt being tricked like that. That That's just such a betrayal of trust, isn't it? Yes, it was. And, you know, and they didn't like to talk about it too much because I believe there was a little bit of embarrassment on their part too, mm, right? Like, mm. how could I have been tricked? you know, so easily. But it was early in the war. And what was interesting, too, is I don't want to say the 12 million were all tricked. The mm -hmm. first that came over were tricked. So the the folks, you know, the people from that part of Ukraine that came over in late 1941 and early 1942, they were the ones that were tricked because the news finds a way, <laughs> you know, yeah, to spread yes, and come yep. back, even though the people aren't allowed to communicate go back home things slip right there are always you know greasy spots and open windows and so news started to come back to occupied poland occupied ukraine occupied any areas of occupied russia and, and other countries and people knew not to be recruited so then the nazis just started kidnapping people so that's how was they got their 12 million <laughs> so what sort of feeling did you have um, leading up to closure of writing the book? Was it an emotional discharge? Was it a acknowledgement of the, the strength that your parents had to, and the 12 million had to go through? Um, what was it for you, the feeling? The, the book itself, and it, it's still going through some drafts, yep. so it hasn't yeah, been yep. published yet. Mm -hmm. But I, what I wanted to make very important in the book is the topics are very deep and the topics are very hard and i didn't want this to be a book that people would put down because it was too hard you know or too dark mm. and so i wanted it to be a story that would be bittersweet of yes there was all this adversity that happened to them early in their lives but yet they were able to overcome so much. They were able to raise 12 children, you know, in a free country like the United States. They were able finally to go back and be reunited with their relatives once Glasnost and Perestroika happened and the Soviet Union fell apart. 
and they were able to realize, you know, even though for years they always thought one day they would go home, but they mm. finally realized that, you know, home is where your family is. Yes, of course. I, uh, I wonder, you know, this, you've already touched on this, but how important is it actually for people to remember what their history is in this regard and how powerful do you think this book will be to help them remember? Well, what I really hope it does is, is a few things. Uh, one, I, I really want to educate people on this particular point in history uh, about the slave camps, because I believe a lot of people know about the concentration camps, and they were absolutely horrific. Mm. But I'm not sure many people, um, because there's just not much written about it, and oh, there isn't know. anything really know. in pop, nothing in popular culture no, I didn't really know. I about know. yeah. Yeah, the slave experience. So I, I want to educate people on that as well as the refugee experience because mm, mm. there were over a million displaced persons from those slave camps stuck in Western Europe for years without a home. I have older siblings that were born in Germany and they didn't have a country of origin. They were just called displaced persons until they came of age in the United States and chose to become U.S. citizens. So I want to just educate people on what happened during the war and after the war. And then I want to shine a light on the eerie resemblance of what's happening today, today and occupied yes. Ukraine to what happened during World War II and post-World War II between the internment camps, the missing children, the number six million refugees in Europe. And then thirdly, I want to, would like to use it as a platform to convince people, one, we really, as a, as a world, as a, globe, as a world, global as a entity, yep. as a global entity, mm. we really need to stop this one and not see another, you know, not see another one yeah. ever again. And hopefully raise some money, too, because portions of this book, once it's published, will go to a foundation that I've started mm -hmm. to help with the refugee crisis, to help with the rebuilding and reconstruction of Ukraine, because I believe that they will be united, <laughs> that Ukraine yes, will be reunited one day. And absolutely. it's going to be like the reconstruction that had to happen of you know, East Germany, once the West and the East were reunited. Look, I'm touched by this call and I want people to be able to reach out to you. We'll certainly be making sure, Oksana, that there are links back to everything uh, that they can do to contribute whatever links you need to provide, please do so. But um, when the book finally does release, where are they actually going to find it? So, um, so I'm, I'm still in the process of looking mm -hmm. for a publisher because I really don't want to self-publish something that's important. I really want to get a, a big publisher behind it. Yep. And uh, I think I have a really good case to do it. I have a um, TV media company interested in the story, so it could even be out in some sort so, of a visual format in the future, yep. mm -hmm. <laughs> perhaps at the same time as the book or uh, before or after. Um, so at least for right now, um, I'm telling people to go to my book landing page so that I can, um, you know, increase the number of people interested in the book 
to uh, to get the interest of a publisher <laughs> to then publish it. And the website is www.sunflowersrarelybreak.com. Yep. And the other place that they could help too is to start following me on Instagram, where I'm at uh, o at o cucuruza two. Yep. Would be another great way for them to help me at this point. Well, look, you are a source of inspiration. I absolutely love your work. Uh, adore the mission that you're on to bring this uh, to the fore. It certainly needs to be there, Oksana. Uh, thank you for that. Now, if anybody's on this call, they'd like to contribute, uh, make sure you reach out to Oksana. She'll be able to help you in uh, any way, shape and form. Uh, that website again is sunflowersrarelybreak.com. I'll be making sure that that link is available to you below this call. And with all that being said, Oksana, thank you very much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much, Rick, for having me. I appreciate it.